Hello everybody, my name is David Keck and this is Surviving Abuse Podcast. part two of Aline's murder crazy story. <laughs> excellent description. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I know in my mind I was like, oh, I'm going to say all these things. and But then I was like, I don't know that I know how to even, because where we left off, we had already discussed so much and there's still so much more to discuss. So I think Kiana is going to give us a recap. If, if people haven't listened to episode the first epi- the first part of this, I do recommend that. However, if you haven't and you just don't want to, um, Kiana is going to give us a recap. <laughs> okay. Um, so just to recap where we left off. So basically what we, we talked about was Eileen's circumstances prior to her relationship with Tyria. Um, so basically her unfortunate childhood, I mean, it was, it was very, very sad. She started off with a mom who had her as a child. She then got pregnant herself as a child. She was abused, um, within the family sexually. Um, she got kicked out of her house after being pregnant, um, and then being sent away to have the child and give that child up. She was basically fending for herself for years, living in the woods of Michigan. Um, she did have a friend, Dawn, who seems, we talked about, seems not to, yeah, she's not, she does not have it together. Like, she needs to get her entire life together. But that's another story. Um, she then um, hitchhiked her way all the way to Florida. Um, she, at one point, had gotten married for a lovely nine weeks. <laughs> Before assaulting her husband. And then he got a um, restraining order against her. Um, And then um, after that, we started talking about um, this relationship. Well, we had just started talking about her relationship with Tyria and the movie Monster. And starting to compare Monster with real true facts. Because Monster was not that. So, and here we are now. Here we are now. (laughs) Here we are now. That was the best recap I've ever heard. (laughs) <laughs> it's like you paid attention or something. Oh, well, you know. <laughs> Every once in a while. Yeah. So we were talking about her relationship with Tyria, and we had a, a good conversation about was she a lesbian? Was she bisexual? Like, what was all that about? Um, so now I think we should start talking about um, her, what she actually did, the crimes that she actually committed that were not, um, like, theft and 
um, DUIs and things. So it during her relationship with Tyria, um, they needed money. Uh, Tyria had been a maid, and I think she stopped being a hotel maid at some point because they didn't have money. Um, so Eileen had to go back out and start um, being a sex worker again and, and uh, prostituting herself out. So during this time, um, she committed seven murders within a period of 12 months. Um, the first, and I just want to go through their names, um, and not really discuss much about, like, what she did, but she, she would go out with them, and she would shoot them, um, and she would take their money, she would take their cars in some cases, um, and that kind of became her pattern of behavior. She said many things during her trial, um, that some of them did rape her, that some of them did not, um, she's gone back and forth on that, about whether they did or they didn't, whether it was in self-defense, whether it wasn't in self-defense, she said everything. Um, so, you know, who knows what the truth is, um, the families of the victims obviously don't believe what she says, that it was in self-defense, they, they think that she just killed them in cold blood, and we're not gonna know at this point, I don't, you know, no more evidence is gonna come out that's gonna show us either way, and Eileen is dead, so... Who, who, who knows? knows? Who knows what her real truth is? Well, and and where I struggle with that as far as the... And I will never victim blame, and that's not what this is. But the family members that are saying, oh, there's no way that she would have been raped or threatened, they probably never thought these men were also picking up oh, prostitutes okay. right. either, you know? So it it... I, I respect the fact that they have this image in their mind and their heart of uh, of the men that ha- are, are victims of Eileen, and, and I get that, and I don't want to take away from that. However, we don't know, right? The right, full story. And, and, and we truly, really will never know. So, and and just to kind of bring back the comparison between the documentaries that we've seen and Monster, in Monster, they made it seem like only one mm-hmm. actually abused her. And then everything else that followed was because of that trauma. Right. Like, it it was not necessarily because they actually did anything to harm her. They just said something that triggered her that made her believe that this this person is actually a monster. Therefore, I'm going to take him out because of that behavior. Because of what happened. When the trauma was there from... Day one of her birth, right? Like the, the yeah, right. So um, and where that differs from real real life is that during her trial, she would say it was self defense. At one point in one of the documentaries, she told Nick Broomfield that it was not in self defense; that it was like she needed their money and she needed their cars. Can and we then, talk about that for just a second? And then, well, and then she went back to saying it was self defense. So again, just like, can I tell you, we got the I know, and and again, not to really laugh at someone's pain or whatever, but when we were watching the documentary, the life and death of a serial killer, and she was like, I was not, I'm not. Well, she was like, I'm not a serial killer. Well, she was like, I guess I am because it's a numbers game, but I'm not in the I'm not in the thrilling, you know, right. thrill killing game. I was just in the robbery gig, you know, like she she it was always like a gig like yeah. I'm like and it's an I, interesting I'm, thing to call a gig right and I've got some theories with that too but I I don't think now's the best time to discuss I'm gonna wait till you get through uh that part of, of your spill with it I've got some theories on that too yeah. like like the, this is getting to the part as far as like Eileen as a killer really started to like weigh on me right is where we are in the documentaries yeah so, um, within this 12-month period, she, like I said, she murdered seven men. Um, the first was uh, Richard
Charles Malloy. Um, and that was November 30th, 1989. And again, like we just discussed, that was the first one that, man that she killed. Um, and she said that he had sexually assaulted her, that he had raped her. That was her story on the stand. Again, we're not going to know what the truth is. And it was very animated on the stand, but too. at the end of the day, she killed him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was the first man that she murdered. Then was David Andrew Spears. Um, he was declared missing May 19th, 1990, so sometime before that, um, she killed him. Charles Edmund Carskadon. Carskadon. I don't want to say that wrong. Charles Edmund Carskadon, maybe, is how you say that. (laughs) Um, May 31st, 1990. Peter Abraham Seams, uh, he went missing. He left his home in June 1990, and his car was found July 4th, 1990. So sometime in there. Uh, Troy Eugene Burris, um, he was reported missing July 31st, 1990, and his body was found August 4th, 1990. Charles Richard Humphreys, um, September 11th, 1990. And then final man was Walter Gino Antonio, uh, November 19th, 1990. He was found. Um, With so many of these men, they weren't found until sometime after. So that's why we're not sure exactly when she killed them. And correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't there one where the body still hasn't been found? Yes. Okay. Um, And I did not write down which one that was, which man that was. But yes, um, some were found, some one was not found. Yeah. Um. So, in July of 1990, um, Eileen and Tyria uh, were driving one of the victim's cars, and they crashed it. Um, and I don't remember this from the documentary. In Monster, Tyria was driving. Is that what she Correct. said in yes. the documentary as well? Okay, so that was true, that Tyria Well, I don't know that it was true. Well, but, who knows but, true but, but, Right, but, in, yes, in Monster, in, she was the one that was driving the car, and then they wrecked. Right, they wrecked the car, which, of course, someone saw them wreck the car, um, which eventually would lead to these individuals, it was a woman, um, being able to describe what Eileen and Tyria looked like to the police, and then composite sketches were made of them. Um, so then there was a campaign to find them. Of course, their images were released, and this is when it started to become real. Um, they were looking for Eileen. Before then, um, they were not, and that goes back into what we were talking about before, that Eileen believed that the police knew about her and were letting her continue to kill because, um, she, as she said, she didn't do a good job of, of trying to hide what she did. And they just weren't arresting her for whatever real reason that might be. It was true that she had killed seven people and they had not found her yet. So it was at this point that they did really start to look for her. Um, in January of 1991, she was arrested on an outstanding warrant. Um, and then the next day they found Tyria. Um, so they brought them both in. Uh, Eileen was in jail and they, police, um, had Tyria come in and call Eileen on the phones in the jail and basically, uh, coerce a confession out of her. And I don't know if coerce is the right word because she, I mean, she did murder these people. So it's not like she was lying about it, but they were using Tyria to get a confession out of Eileen, um, and were recording it. And of course that was kind of the beginning of the end there because now they had this information that they could use in trial and she had confessed over the phone to Tyria that she had murdered these men, um, or at least the first man. Um, and Tyria didn't have to stand trial for anything because, I mean, she didn't kill anyone, so... She didn't kill anyone. She knew but, what was going on. She knew about what was going on, and that was the thing that got me. But because she, she became what's called, known as a state's witness, mm-hmm. a state witness at that point, and so she pretty much got off scot free, even though she knew. Because apparently, what I understand 
was she, uh, Eileen confessed to her that she had killed someone. Well, and there was even a part in the documentary, um, one of the, I watched so many that I'm not sure which one it came from, but there was even a part where, where she was saying that I knew something was going on because there would be cars and money and, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and she said a part of me thought that there was murders that, that, that they were being murdered and that Eileen was doing it. I really didn't know, but the fact, like, if you have that thought, well, the fact that she confessed one of, why wouldn't you think that? Okay, if she's done this once, why, you know, I, you can't explain where the money's coming from. You know that. I mean, and I don't want to make this sounds horrible coming out of my mouth, so I do apologize ahead of time. You know, she's not that great of a sex worker, right? So suddenly she's coming back with all this more than what she's had before. Um, I kind of felt like she was turning a blind eye to it because she wanted to be taken care of, mm-hmm. um, which leads to, you know, what we were, we were kind of getting into earlier with all the money that's been made off of Eileen because right. she was also profiting when all of this happened on Eileen. Yeah. And she was able to say, I, I'm not the one doing it. Mm-hmm. So they used her as a witness, um, used the tapes in the trial. So, in January of 1992, Eileen went to trial for the murder of the first man, Richard Charles Malloy, or Mallory, excuse me. Um, and on January 27th, she was convicted of murder. Um, again, with the help of that recorded um, recorded confession that she had with Tyria, and then also Tyria testified against Eileen. Um, which, in the documentary, and both in the movie Monster, they portray it in both places. Obviously, the real one in the documentary. It, it was really, it, it elicited a strange like emotional feeling for me watching even though knowing this woman murdered seven people watching her watch the woman she loved testify against her and like have to sit there and listen to that just the I don't know the expression on her face and Charlize Theron did a really good job of portraying that oh my god so good but but you're right though like I mean it did pull on my heartstrings too because even though the relationship was destructive even though you know it wasn't healthy it was first person. the first person yeah. that we know of that. Now, I will say the grandmother that uh, played the role of of Eileen's mother. You know, she she seemed to have really cared for Eileen, but she died pretty quickly. I mean, she was an alcoholic and she died of like liver disease or something. Yeah. You know, and then that's when things really went to hell. So it, it's you know, so so to see Eileen look at this woman. That is the only definition that Eileen has of love and structure and stability and sanity, you know, just throughout. Right. It it was devastating. It is devastating. But the other thing is that she still took it like a G though. Like I, I, and I say that because even when you listen to the phone conversation, she's like, I'm not going to let you go to jail. Like she was like, she did say up until the end, um, that she still loves. Absolutely. Like that was, that was her person. No, and and I will say, and again, this is not to justify. If we were talking about a woman being in prison only for the petty crimes and take away the murder, like Eileen's a ride or die. Like if you show her love and you give her some love, you know, I mean, with what she was doing to her for her girlfriend here, like I'm not gonna let you go to prison. Like she, I'm not gonna let you go to prison. I'm gonna go out back on back out on these streets knowing how dangerous it is to, to be a sex worker so that I can take care of us. Yeah. Regardless of, you know, it led to some bad and, stuff. And what she was still heart, doing it for them. 
Right. And what breaks my heart about that is I wonder, did with with Eileen's mental abilities or lack thereof, what was she thinking like, this is what I've got to do to keep this person. I finally have someone that loves me. And so I've got to because because we had talked about, you know, the girlfriend had this, you know, had jobs. They were not the best paying jobs. But it was something it was still accepted in society to be the housekeeper that she was being. And, and Eileen told her, you can stop doing this and I'll just, I'll go back to doing this to take care of you. And the, and, and the girlfriend allowed that. But for Eileen tonight, like if Cody ever came to me and said, David, you could do some really good, like porn videos. Like, why don't you do that? And let me not work anymore. I would think like you, is that love? Like, you know what I mean? But, but that's not how Eileen's mental abilities worked. You know, she, she was thinking, this is what I've got to do. Or I'm thinking she was, this is the first person who hasn't hurt me the way that other people. have. So I'll do whatever it takes to keep this person. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a bit tragic and a very distorted vision of what love is and should be. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, four days after she was convicted of first murder, um, she was sentenced to death. And for the next uh, murders, the next three murders, um, she pleaded no contest and was given three more death sentences. Can we stop there for a second? Hold another conversation about the consecutive I know! I was like, wait a minute. I was like, is Eileen a cat? Like, does she have nine lives? Uh, uh, like, uh, uh, why are we giving her, like, how many times does it take to die? Anyway, sorry. I had to because that was killing me. I was anyway, like... She even says that at one point in the documentary and she she says, like, how many times can you kill me? <laughs> well, you know, it's like when when they give, you know, an 80-year-old man, you know, three life sentences or, you, you, but but I think it's just to, I, I don't even know that I know the right words, but I think it's just to give that, I almost feel like it's for the family of the victims, yeah. you know, to show that this is being recognized, that sure. there, there is no life for this person and this is where it ends for them. Right. I agree with that. I, it's, it's an interesting, and I, I, one time I listened to a, a different a podcast about, with an attorney and they were discussing why you would give someone a death sentence plus 20 years, you know, a life sentence plus 30 years, you know, and it, it, I can't remember his explanation, but it is kind of like to, to make a point, I feel like, to say like, this is, you did this, this is the result. Oh, you did it again. You get another result on top of that. Yeah. But I think it just varies by state and it varies by judge. Um, and Eileen's point of bringing up the fact that it was an election year and yeah, Bush, baby. <laughs> they they were really and all the different counties were really trying to make a point and um, she was the first woman yeah. serial killer yeah so everybody kind of had a stake in it you know i think that's mm-hmm. why it was death sentence after death sentence after death sentence and i think even they the guy in the documentary made a point that even ted bundy since we're gonna bring it back up oh i was gonna bring that up later yes had, you know like even he got life sentences and i mean and not to okay look death is death death is bad but when you think about the atrocities that occurred there versus this it's like yeah mm, it's it's yeah yeah it, it's oh i definitely have that written down to talk yeah. about later yes let's talk about that later. um so 
She was given three more death sentences. Uh, she pled guilty to the murder of Charles uh, Carscadden, um, and then got another death sentence. That's five death sentences. And then she pled guilty to the murder of Walter Antonio and was sentenced to death again. Um, here we go. This is your question earlier, David. Uh, she did not have charges brought against her for the murder of Peter Sims. His body was never found. Because no body, so, no death. That's what they say. He was the man that they never found his body. Um, so she got six death sentences for seven murders. No body, no crime. That's mm-hmm. what the saying is. Sorry. What is the... <laughs> there's... Oh, this is the Latin, right? What is it? Now, now it's going to bother, bother me that I can't think of it. It's like an expression that lawyers say. What do they say? Oh, no. Yeah, you got to look it up. Because now, now all I'm going to be able to think about is that. <laughs> <laughs> So, six death sentences. Um, she spent, uh, I didn't write this down. Did she, how long did she spend in prison? 12 years? And, oh, it, it was 12 years. 12 years. Um, before she, what is it, Kiana? Corpus delicti. Yes, that's the one. No body, body, no crime. No body, no crime. So, yeah, she spent 12 years in prison um, on death row waiting to be executed. Um, her execution was October 9th, 2002. And before I tell you what her last words were, um, <laughs> I think we should talk about her mental state and the fact that she was examined by a psychiatrist and psychologist and they were not... It's so strange because the defense used evidence that she was not completely competent, which obviously the defense would want to use that evidence and say that she did have borderline personality disorders and and may have been schizophrenic and definitely had some mental health issues. And then the psychiatrist that evaluated her before she was executed said she was totally sane. 15 minutes. 15 minutes, minutes, though. And I think, watching the documentary, I think they're both right. Because you can see sometimes she was totally there. She was... She was lucid. I mean, it happens with people. Sometimes you're totally lucid. She was totally there. She made sense. Like, having conversations with her that you could track and understand. And then sometimes just even microwaves looking at her. Right. You can tell that she was absolutely off the deep end. So I think it's so interesting that they... I mean, I, I understand that they're looking to see if you're sane enough and competent enough to understand what you did was wrong. I know that that's what they're looking for, but it is interesting that in 15 minutes they're like, ah, oh, no, she's fine. Yeah, she's fine, right, because, I mean, looking at the documentary, when she, st- when she was talking about the police and the microwave sending to her brain and all yeah. that jazz, I'm like, okay, she's clearly not okay. Yeah. No one's going to do anything? Okay. So here, here's, you know, earlier I said that I had, you know, some thoughts on this, and what Kiana just brought up is, is, uh, the, the thoughts that I have that I wanted to touch on. So there were times in the documentary that she would say things that were so out there, mm-hmm. you know, of the the police knew what she was doing, but this was just part of a setup. And uh, the, the TV, TV thing, and I think at one point there was a mirror or something that she was like, you know, I know that they're recording me. Um, here's the thing, and I want to be careful how I say this because it's my first time saying it out loud, so bear with but I feel like those moments are the most honest moments that we've had with her. Now, I don't mean that as in it's the truth. I mean that as in I believe that she truly believed Believe that. that. Well, I think the gentleman who was doing the documentary, who was filming, he had actually mentioned at one point, out of all the people that he's interviewed, out of all all this time that he has been documenting things and videotaping, he felt like Eileen was the most honest Mm -hmm. of the individuals because just so many people wanted nothing but to profit off of her. Even when they interviewed the one police officer who basically got the death threats because he was trying to break up 
up the fact that other police officers, these are people who are supposed to uphold the law, are supposed to, you know, investigate earnestly and honestly, but they have another motive by what they're doing, you know, because they want a piece of that pie. Like, how is that not conflicting interest? And don't get me wrong, we, okay, she confessed to it, whatever, you know, there's evidence there. But how is that a clean trial when you have just about everybody involved getting something out of it? Right. And and here's some of the thoughts that I've had on that, on, on that too. And the, well, this whole damn thing really is she spent 12 years in prison. These are unhealthy environments. These are not places for people, even the sanest of people. Well, especially in Florida, keep, right? Right keep any bit of sanity there were times that she would so so one thing that bloomfield is very good at doing is having conversations quote-unquote off the record but he doesn't stop filming stop filming he just makes you think that he is and there's this one point in time in in the documentary where she thinks they've stopped talking and it was actually kind of comical because he would say, was this in self-defense? And she said, I, like they, they were going back and forth. They couldn't understand each other. And then, you know, she thought it was done recording and she said, not all of them were, you know, or like. Not all and, of them were in cold blood. Some of them were out of self-defense. Right. And, but I think that the environment that she was in and all the years into it on top of her mental stability already or again lack thereof she knew what she had to say in order to go ahead and get to die to die and 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 that's the point that i think at some point she even said that to him while he was while she thought he wasn't filming she was he was she was like well i have to say this because you have to put put, because otherwise we're in jeopardy and they won't kill me she even has an outburst at one point where he tries to push the issue while they were still rolling saying that if you don't kill eileen eileen they want they must want eileen to kill again you know yeah, Eileen will kill again because yeah. when she said that, I was like, <gasps> like, uh, you know, yeah. the hair stuff and stuff. But, you know, it's, and again, those are the parts that we could make fun of. Those are the parts that we could laugh at. Um, the, But when you get down to, and those are the parts that we could just say that bitch is crazy, you know, but even though those comments were scary and even though those comments were crazy, for lack of better words, those to me were the most real comments and the most truthful comment that was to me her most authentic truth whether they were right or wrong it was still her truth and 12 years into being in this environment that is not going to be healthy when you're already struggling with mental health anyways and doing the things that you've done you know she she wanted to die and she knew what to do to get there and that makes me wonder and even think, you know, maybe she had it more together than we give her credit for. Yeah, definitely. And it, it's, it's so, con- I'm so conflicted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. So with her, like, about whether she was completely off the deep end or whether she, if she knew how to play she it, she knew what she was, was doing. Yeah. Right. And I'm with you on that one. Like, I, there are things about this whole situation that make me think my girlfriend was working the system, but then there were other things that it was almost too real. Like, you know, like there's no amount of acting yeah. that can make what some of these things that we, we see, like some of these outbursts were like, I was like, that's not acting. Well, and here's the thing, you know, I agree with you 100% because here's what I thought when 
The cameras are rolling and she knows they're rolling. When the cameras are quote unquote off and she thinks they're off, it's still the same person Mm -hmm. every time. You know, we've seen times where the camera stops and the the people are like, okay, like me if I can, you know, and has something that is just kind of outside of the character that they're portraying. She was always the same character. She was always the same character and you never knew what was going to set her off. Because I'm going to tell you, and while, you know, those things about Eileen, um, that actually didn't, to me, that wasn't that scary. That to me was a person who was begging to die. Like she was at the point where I'm going to say and do whatever I have to do to for you guys. Like I've been suffering in this system long enough. It's time for me to be done. Um, it, it, that, that's what I saw. I didn't yeah. see, and don't get me wrong, while it comes off as in, unhinged, that's just not what I saw there. I, I saw someone who was suffering and is tired of suffering. There, there was a part that I had a couple of mixed emotions about. Um, and, and here's where I will actually play the clip of it. Um, but there is this part that when she's given her sentence and she looks over at the jury. Oh, and yes. it's going to be hard to say, and it's definitely hard to hear. But you know, when she when she looked over at the jury and she said, "I hope your children get raped." That I was hard. You're putting a victim of rape to death. There was that part of me that was like, "Oh shit!" Like I I kind of laughed when I heard it, but it wasn't laughing as in it's funny. It was laughing of just the shock factor of it. Like, oh shit, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but there was this other part of me that was like, you know, I really think that, I don't think that all seven men were raping and abusive to her, but I feel like there was some kind of trigger to her. And because what I would love to know is, so she killed seven men in the span of 12 months, but how many did she trick with? Did she, what was there only seven men the whole year that she and prostituting with and they just and she killed them all or were there ones in between that she didn't i mean i would think there would have to be because, there would have because, to be because, is what I would think. because if she's the one who's supporting them you can't tell she's me she's the that bread she, and butter right you can't tell me she got enough money to live off of those seven so years. what did the ones that die what factor that did they and i want to be careful what i say it because i'm not blaming the victim but in her mindset what what did they do that triggered her or, in her or, mind? Or maybe or it's not even it something that they... It, maybe it, it may not have even been something that they did. It may have been something that just reminded her of. Right. So, like... And not to bring up the movies because we know that the movie is completely false, right? Like, we know that there was a lot of glamorization there or whatever the case may be. But, for example, when she kills the um, former police officer, right? Well, it was nothing other than the gun that triggered her. That was yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And so... It may not necessarily have even been anything physical as much as, oh, there's something in this vehicle that may hurt me. Like, you know, those type of things. There's no telling. If if something really, truly happened to her while she was tricking, while she was, um, you know, let's say with the first one that she claimed, if something really, truly happened to her, it could be anything that triggers her. That was one of the things that I've learned through my um, journey of mental health, you know, going through this journey with you, David, is that sometimes it's not the big things that trigger somebody. It's the smallest Sometimes it's things. the smallest things that could trigger someone. Or who knows, or maybe... Maybe it wasn't even anything from them that trick, you know, that triggered her. Maybe it was, hey, we are real dry right now. Taria's over here, you know, like I've got to figure out how I keep her, and I'm going to need more than just, you know, enough from a blowjob. Who knows what it could be? We will never really know. Right. 
But I did, I mean, there were people that have talked about what she was like as a child and has said that, that she was prone to fits of rage and outbursts and um, some, let me see, I've, I have it written down somewhere, that uh, it limited her ability to make friends and made it difficult for her to maintain relationships um, because of her explosive temper. Mm. So... I mean, like, yeah, that's just to your point, that it could have been, could have been anything. It could have been nothing. And she does say at one point in the documentary, when, when they're discussing, you know, if she knew, you know, did she seek out these men with the intention of murdering them? I think she says, like, she says no, and then she says, yeah, yeah. and then she's like, well, yeah, like, I knew I was going to kill him. So, yeah, because she was like, I was in the, I was in the robbery gig. Yeah. I mean, you know, or yeah. whatever, biz, or that's what it was, or something like that. Like, she was like, I wasn't in the thrilling biz. Yeah. That's like, why she it's just, so conflicting and so difficult to, to really really figure her out figure right. out yeah because it's just she she definitely i will say definitely is an interesting case and because you really truly just don't know like there are some people that you'll look at and you're like that's you know we can really see that this person was suffering from psychopathy uh, it's her she's so in and out of you know what makes sense and what doesn't make sense I mean, you, you just, we, you'll just really never know. I mean, and, and there's sympathy there simply because of what's happened to her in her past. Now, as far as the victim's loved ones, you know, look, I get it. Like, they will, they, they don't have sympathy for her, and I totally get that. I mean, if you were to take away one of my loved ones, I'm, sure. you know, we're going to throw the bus, I mean, throw the entire jail at you for all I'm concerned. But when you go back and dig, it's just... What, you know, at what point in society, when we throw somebody in jail, do we say, instead of just, oh, life sentence upon life sentence, what, when are we going to say, you know, how about we rehabilitate? Like, let's truly look into your situation and actually rehabilitate. And that. here's the thing. There are going to be people that need to be put to death. There are, well... I struggle with that. I struggle with that because I feel like if if the death sentence is ever a sentence, we can only do it if it's always 100% true and right and we don't have that. But if someone is sentenced to life after life after life sentence, then why are we not having specialists in there to evaluate what led them to this, you know, and and to notice these patterns? Right, and to see what helps. And I'm not saying, hey, let's experiment. So I'm saying this. I'm not saying let's experiment on our individuals that are locked up in jail. That's not what I'm saying. But why not study? Why not see what actually helps? So that when you do have these children who end up in the system, who, you know, they're reported to have this erratic behavior that you already have a case study to say, okay, these are the things that we know can help this child. And in some because cases, it may be too do. late, right? Because it may be too late for this person, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily have to be too Which late for this person. Which would prevent, like, I know that if, if, if I had a family member um, that was murdered by Eileen, if state came to me and said, you know, we have studied Eileen and we have, we're, we're, we've gotten before her demise, we have found paths and and ways to you know look for different traits in people and we are now making this part of our foster care system and and what is that child care protective yeah you know what I'm talking about and then then I would feel like it wasn't completely in vain right and but but we don't now I mean there are a few cases where they want to say well we know that if people hurt animals then they're probably going going to to, right and can we not 
continue with that and further that and dig a little deeper into that? Could we maybe figure out how to prevent, you know, like they figured out how to prevent aging. I'll never age. And, but David. can we not figure out how to, like, David. why do why? First of all, before you go on, get your entire life together over there. <laughs> you were supposed to do that uh, between the last episode and this episode. Yeah, I don't know well, if you remember here we that. are. Here we are. But, you know, it's like, why do we have to even wait until animals are hurt to... To, to get to that realization with people and and to be preventative, you know, like why can't we go a little? Here's deeper? a real conspiracy theory answer that's not a satisfying one. The reason why we don't fix this is because prisons make money. One hundred percent. Well, and because the people that are in charge of the prison system do not want to fix the system because the system is profitable. For once them. you're in jail, <laughs> that's why rich people don't go. They can pay their way out that one time and be done. But people like me, they'll they'll keep me in the jail because they they've got a hold of every paycheck that I have coming. Well, and so and this can be not necessarily on here. You can edit this out, but I'm going to throw something out there where I read an article. I think it's um, it's one of the guys from Bone Thugs and Harmony. I want to say it's like Crazy Bone, um, but he talked about going to a super secret meeting. Um, where literally they wanted them to make rap music like the worst that it could possibly be, like the lyrics to be super horrible, like basically to incite bad behavior out of individuals because with that path led to them being locked up and making more money. Well, we had talked about that because they wanted him to do it because his target audience yes. mm-hmm. was the African-Americans. And, and so once they... Community. When, once they uh, got rid of, like, slavery and all this stuff, they, they were like, this is the way that we can still control them and have them. We'll lock them up and get rid of the ones that we don't want. Yeah. And we will use you to do that You're with right. your music. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so you brought that up and it just totally <laughs> sent me there. This is our conspiracy theory podcast. Yeah. That's a whole other thing. So... Um, I'll just, I'll just say it again. Uh, she was executed on October 9th, 2002. And in this conversation about, was she crazy? Was she not crazy? Was she all there? Was she not all there? I don't know. I just feel like hearing her last words might point you in a direction um, on an answer on that. Her last words were, yes, I would just like to say that I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus. June 6th, like the movie. Big mothership and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. So, you know, take take that as what you will. Um, And the documentary maker even said, like, those are not the words that someone who was just declared completely sane would say. say. Like, that that doesn't track. And I still get so torn with that because I believe that she believes that. And which is, and if she believes oh, yeah. I don't that, think that she's that, just making that, that up. up. Yeah, yeah, that signs of not being there together mentally. Absolutely. And for, and again, to go back to the amount of time it took, fifteen minutes to declare somebody mentally okay. Like that, that in itself is a problem. And yes, you're right. She she truly believed that she was going to be back. And but, I was, but here's my thought on that. People as Christians think that they're going to hear a trumpet sound and that the dead is going to resurrect and be walking around. And I heard this joke the other day. It was really funny. It was like, so if the if everyone's buried in suits and dresses and there's a zombie apocalypse or if the dead resurrects and they're walking around in suits and dresses, is it a formal event? <laughs> but, but, you know, like we have, we have, we, th- there are Christians that think that, 
God is going to sell in on this Santa sled kind of chariot thing. And after the seventh trumpet. What are we describing and, here? But exa- my point exactly. We say that what she's saying that is going to happen to her is so crazy. But isn't that kind of almost kind of comparable to what the Christians think is going to happen? I mean, I'm as, as a Christian, don't. That's not what I. Oh, I've heard that preached and said so many, so many times that the seventh trumpet is going to, and the clouds are going to spread, and God's coming in on this chariot, and the resurrection or, or the dead is going to come back to life. Like there are churches that preach that. Is that kind of not the same? Although I will say that every time she says she's coming in with a rock, I always think of Dwayne Johnson. I was like, when, when, the, very, the very first time, the very first time I watched the documentary, I heard that I was like, I should bring in Dwayne Johnson into this. And which there was one rock I was coming in on. I wouldn't mind it to be Dwayne Johnson, anyways. But. I mean, I will say, if you're going to come back, like, move the Independence Day. A good one. That's, yeah. But, you know, it's, and I know it's kind of grasping at straws, but there are a lot of fables within this Bible. And we can't, we don't say the Christians are crazy for believing it, but if you've actually really got down to some of these stories, they're, they're a little out there. And so why, why can't her story, if that is what she believes, if that is how she lays her head down every night, knowing that I'm going to die, but this is what I believe that brings me comfort. Why do we have to call that crazy? That's where I struggle with it because if, and I only say that because granted, yes, I do think that her goodbye speech was a little out there, but I've heard shit talked about at church in this book. That's the number one selling book that has incest and all this shit in it. And well, we, and everyone believes that. Yeah. Okay. So incest may not have been the best, um, Example to use because incest is outside of the Bible too. Like, but even I mean, when you, look, right. I mean, and I mean, and not to be calling out the the current monarch of you know England, but she was married to her cousin. So anyway, <laughs> but all the other stuff, yes, I get what you're trying to say. I would, if anyone used their last words to say they were coming back, I'd, I would say they were crazy. Well, I don't, it doesn't matter. But here's the thing, though. If and, anyone and, used their last words to say that particular thing. And I try to put myself in their shoes. It would so raise a lot of If I have me. been as fucked as I have been in life as Eileen, because she didn't have a standing chance from the moment she was born, right? Again, not justifying anything that she's done, but. She never had a fair chance. And then she was also not very proactive in trying to build that fair chance for herself. I will say that as well. But there's this part of me that wonders, if I was in her place, if I was about to be put to death, would I give a heartfelt I'm sorry to people that aren't going to be receptive of it? Because my sorries would not be good enough, or would I get one last crazy jab and say some fucked up shit? I don't think that she was trying. I mean, me personally, <laughs> I don't even think that she was trying to get one last jab. You know, say some fucked up shit. Me personally, I think she was at peace with the fact that she was getting what she wanted. I earn it. It was her way out. That was her way out. That's what I honestly believe. And she was right. She would have killed again. Even she could have found ways to have killed inside that prison eventually. You know, it probably has saved some lives to to, to put her down like like this. Um, and I'm not 
taken away from that by any means. But there is that part of me that wonders, like, was there more sanity than we realized? And these were just her jabs because she had built this long relationship with Bloomfield to the point of she didn't even want a last meal. Her last request was a cup of coffee and to meeting with Bloomfield one more time. That was the only person that she had to be there, even though he had his reasons of being there. But he had even developed some emotional attachment. Oh, he definitely has some emotional attachment. Just because attack. anybody would have, right? Right. Well, and, and, and to see the vultures come and pick her story apart, of course, there there was sympathy there from him. Also, if you will go back to the documentary, part of her last wanting to see him was also because she wanted to talk about the police issue. And that's all she wanted. And that's all she really wanted to talk about. Yeah, she even abruptly ended it. She's like, I'm done talking. I'm done. Right. Because that's where she was. I mean, and not to say, hey, look, there's a lot of corrupt stuff that happens in some of those prisons. I'm not saying that she wasn't incorrect. It's just, again, it was distorted on how it came out. Um, not to, again, I wholeheartedly believe, I don't necessarily believe that there were microwaves, you know, that kind of thing. I don't necessarily believe that. But who's to say what they were really doing? You know, they, they talk about horror stories in the prison all the time. Well, and, and here is where I also had another train of thought. And granted, this is also the first time I'm saying this out loud. And I'm not, I've never been in these kind of experiences. So again, bear with. But it almost seems to me that she was able to block certain things out, which a lot of victims do, right? And so it seems like the pieces that she had could legitimately have been true or some kind of trigger that she was compacting it into one story when she was talking about the microwaves or because when you think about when she when she was talking about this, I know they've got something in this mirror where they're watching me. Well, I thought of an interrogation room. Well, right. You know, where, they she do, was, where they do video yeah, and you can't and, really and see then on the other side. when she was talking about you know, the cops are allowing this and, and they're doing this. Well, there probably were conversations that she had had, but there were the, the in-betweens is kind of being blocked for Well, her. her reality is fractured, right? So she's only getting, so there's bits and pieces that she can communicate in a manner that is coherent. Basically. Well, and because if we were telling a story, because like when I tell the story of my crime, I say, this is what I know. This is what I remember. This is what has been told to me per evidence. This is what has been told to me per speculation. I think that she has put all of these instances together into just one story as if that was the flow of things when the in-betweens were not talked about or known. And so therefore we want to say this bitch is crazy and well, I do believe so, that that she was not there completely. Right. So, but. so, so, so let's not say necessarily crazy because crazy word is where the stigma is. But there was definitely some mental health issues there. We like to use the word crazy because for so long. And I said that society, word for the shock. Right. Factor, right. 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 No, no. 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 I know what you're getting, but we've said that word so long because that's what society says. We're like that person is crazy, mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be. I myself have been guilty of it just because you know. Again, that's. Trying to come out of where society was, there's still bad habits there, right? Oh, sure. But our brains do, when we, when people live through the trauma that Eileen has went through, your brain does very things that, you know, it, it would take a psychologist or a psychiatrist. And even sometimes they can't explain what the brain will do in order to try to explain away or to protect itself, right? You've had this horrible event happen. Some people, they'll block it out completely. Like it's gone. Like when we talked about Mike Foreman with 
um, procession for a long time. The thing that happened to him, he just completely walked it out. And that's he part had of the recover. body protecting, protecting right. Itself, he had right? to recover, right? So who's to say that Eileen? Yes, there are things that just don't make sense there, but because there was so much trauma, the brain has run away with her in some parts. There are parts where it's like, okay, I'm coherent. Things are working the way they're supposed to. At other times. I can't deal with reality. I can't deal with my reality. Therefore, my brain is going to do whatever it can to protect the reality that I'm currently living. So therefore, reality becomes something different. And I I do want to clarify on something. You know, I think respectfully that someone's last words, I would want it to be a heartfelt apology. But with that being said, no matter how many times someone has told me they are sorry for certain actions they've taken in my life, those words really mean nothing to me. And and she, at the point of being in shit, hooked up to you that you're about to die. Your actions are not going to be able to show me how sorry you are. So those words really aren't going to impact me. And so well, when... Go ahead. Go I was going to say, well, here's an interesting thought. For Eileen, do you think going through what she has been through... I don't think she was... Do you there think was never that, any remorse. Do you, do you think that she would even care to say I those things? And, and again, not saying that she's a cold... That's not what I'm getting at. No. I'm getting I think at in it. her mind, she really thought she was protecting herself. I think in her mind, she thought that she was providing for her the one person that loved her. And I, I would want her to be sorry, but I just don't think that she you know, was there and was never going to get there. I think that she truly believed it. But when, um, and Bailey, you did not say this, and Kiana, you did not say this, but just reading some of the comments and stuff from her no last words. If you want to be like, oh, well, she was definitely out of it because of this. And obviously listen to this. Like where I went with that is there. I remember when my uncle was about to pass. Now, granted, he was passing of an old age, has never done a crime, has never been in jail. It was not one of these situations. But he would talk about this chariot and he would talk about this God in this fairy tale place know called heaven and if that is what her peace was if that is what her heaven was and that is what her safe place was take the murder out of it and the and the crimes that she committed i'm glad that she had that and i don't think that what she said was anywhere i don't think that was any crazier than what the christians say that the bible says i choose to believe some things in the bible but in all reality they're, they're a little crazy you know like and that's just where i stand with it i I'm up for argument with that, but or to be educated on that differently. But I, and again, I respect the Bible. I, re, I respect everyone's beliefs, and maybe that mindset is why I respect this with her, is because that was her heaven, that was her her place to go get. Hopefully, the help that we didn't give her in society. Oh well, hopefully she's definitely like you know resting in peace. So what little because she definitely didn't have peace in life, right? Um, and so while I don't know that I completely agree with you a hundred percent, I do hope that she, you know, she's at least been laid down to bed and, you know, hopefully if there is whatever afterlife or whatever, she can be in peace. That's, you know. 100% because, you know, it, it doesn't hurt my feelings that you don't agree because we don't have to agree. Right? No, 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 no. And, and we don't. And, right. 100%. But. 
I think that if you take the victims and the murder aspect out of it as if that never happened, let's for a second pretend that never happened, you cannot say that she was ever given a fair chance. Oh, no. And I, ne- and I never thought she, that she... Oh, no, no, no. I didn't mean you. I just right. meant, you know, you in, in general. Like, her life was hell. Now, she did continue to make other people's lives hell, and absolutely she should have paid for that. You know, um, but she was never given a fair chance. No, not at all. I would like to add one more layer. Oh, come on, bring this. it, Bailey. Back. Let's go. <laughs> I'm, I'm. This was an excellent discussion. Um, but one more layer into the whole thing is monetization of her crime. Yeah. Um, which was a big part of both of the documentaries. Um, mm-hmm. in that people, not just Eileen herself, but people around her were profiting off of the crime she committed because it was a huge deal that, you know, people call her the first, I mean, that we know of, the first uh, serial woman killer. serial killer in the U.S. Um, it was a enormous deal and people were clamoring at the opportunity to profit off of what she had done, which again, I said this before, like talking about true crime and making a profit of talking about other people's um, pain or their deaths or whatever the family um, has to go through. Like I feel a certain type of way about that. And so I, I see the irony in like saying, Oh, it's wrong for them to profit off of people's murders when there's so many true crime podcasts out there and TV shows and movies that also profit off of people's murders. And like we're discussing, it now, but and I would like it on the record that I do want to profit, <laughs> but not necessarily in the same way. Right? That, right. No, right. I, I'm it's, totally it's kidding. Like, but, but, because, but we're not. But we're not in her. But we are not 19. What 92? There. Right. I'm. To, I'm not asking David for twenty five thousand dollars to discuss right. this. Right. Because you know, and, and I'm glad that you're bringing this up. You know, there is a woman, and I can't remember her name. That was in the documentary that the one that adopted her? adopted her. Oh Marilyn yes, the lady. Yes, and was like, oh, we're gonna, if she get, she she needs to confess, and then we're gonna leave, we're gonna live together on this farm and and raise she wolves or she. So, and no, what? I was in like, November what? of nineteen ninety one. Eileen was legally adopted by a 44-year-old Arlene Prale who saw her photo in a newspaper and had a conversation with her husband because they were good Christians. They knew, they thought there was good in her. They adopted her. They legally adopted this An adult. Adult. Woman. Woman. Um, and... I believe, I believe that she had good intentions in the beginning. But when Arlene and um, Steve, Stephen, what was her attorney's name? Steve. Steve. Which one? Dr. Law? Dr. Law. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, I believe that when Dr. Law, Steve, and uh, Arlene realized that they could profit off of Eileen, they did, and they did it with no hesitation, and even in the documentary, they were asking the filmmaker for $25,000 just to have an interview, and, like, eventually he talked them down to 10000 but still, I mean, they were selling rights to her story, they were having, they were going on TV shows and making money from it. At one point, Arlene was calling Steve her agent, mm-hmm. like, she's like, can you believe I have an agent? Me with an agent? And it's like, it that gross. was just the grossest thing. Yeah, it was gross. so gross. gross. And even Eileen even said at one point, like, I don't they I know they're doing this. Like I know they're using me to make money off of me and I'm not seeing any of that money and like it's just wrong. And I just I have nothing to say other than it's disgusting and wrong what mm-hmm. they did. 
and the fact that it was allowed to happen and the fact that there was a law about this and then the law was taken away so you can profit so that you can profit and, 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 and the one good police officer who's trying to do his job gets broken into and all his files stolen about Eileen like it, the whole thing and talking about so going back to mental health you know how does this not also weigh on someone's mental health here you are locked up and don't get me wrong you should have been locked up yeah you got out there killing not saying that she shouldn't have been locked up but you already have been given four or five death sentences however many death sentences are because she's apparently she's a cat and she has multiple lives whatever but you've been given all these death sentences and then you're in the clink in florida of all like the cesspool you know okay fine you have texas but right behind it is florida in the cesspool of fuckery when it comes to and you the know, prisons. Yes. I was going to say, you know their prisons have to be fucked up because any true crime documentary that you watch, any true crime show that you hear, it's all, it always happens in Florida. It always happens in Florida. And then to know that people are profiting off of you and you're not receiving any benefit of it. Now, we can argue that she shouldn't have gotten any benefit from it. I'm not saying, and, 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 you know, and I would be one of those to say, hey, that, you know, okay, you killed some folks. Maybe you shouldn't be reaping anybody's benefits. But at the same time, should everyone else be reaping benefits right. from it? Three three county sheriff's investigators were hired for working with Hollywood <laughs> to develop movies about her. I mean, it just, it's so gross to me. It's so gross. The, the number of people that saw that she had done this and tried to profit off of it. And I, that that was that was basically what the documentary, was. the first one that he made was going on about. Um, not so much about her and what she did, but like the way people are making money off mm -hmm. of her. And yeah. it was just, you haven't, yeah. If you haven't watched that, you need to watch that. Because it's, it's gross, the fact that... That, that is legally allowed. I agree. And we have even had, Kiana and I have even had conversations with Mike and, and even myself with other uh, shows is, you know, one, one of the comments that people want to say to me about my podcast has been negative. There's only been one or two and it's been the same comment. It's, oh, of course, Dave is trying to profit off of something that's happened to him. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you should. And Somebody I, should. And, and absolutely. Um, but here's the difference. My intent is not to profit. Eventually, I hope that that does start happening because my intent is to help people. So the more that my business or, or whatever grows, then the more I'm going to be able to focus on and take care of. And so that is my intent. My intent is not the money. Now, what happens in a lot of these cases is they go into these documentaries and things with the intent for money. Money first. Right. Well, and here's the thing. I'm going to, so going back to your situation, so I'm going to say this loud so that everyone can hear me. Because, and this is someone who has not been abused. I see nothing wrong with you profiting from your situation. Right. Guess what? Something horrible happened to you that will be with you for the rest of your life. There's a part of you that was taken away that you will never get back. You better get something out of yeah. it. 100%. But do not profit off of other people's pain. 100%. Now, That's what I find disgusting. What, what would not disgust me and is if, if this document, if someone doing a documentary or something came in and said, you know what, I am going to set up an account and X amount is going to go to each of the victim's families. And I do need to profit some because I'm missing work to put this together, but I'm wanting to, to do this to help the families and there was a, or some kind of charity that was involved in something like this, or I want to donate because I want to get big enough with my shows and 
that I can find a mental health establishment where I can start donating money to because that's or better what yet you can send people to someone you trust to say okay look the topics that we talk about the part of the reason that we're talking about them is so that you feel like you're not alone right now what we're talking about is hard therefore if you do need help here's places where you can go right here here here's here's somebody who's sponsoring me who will offer you help right but again it goes back to intent right my intent is good my intent is to not be rich my intent intent is to not profit because I want to make money and go away. My intent is because I want to help people because I want to hopefully prevent someone from ever going through what I've went through. And if they do, provide them with the resources, right? And so I feel like if if some of these documentarians were like, you know, I do need to make some money from this because I do want to bring this to light, you know, for X and X reason. But I'm also setting up where these families, you know, are going to get a certain percentage of. I would feel better about that. You well, know, I would I, also I, feel better. I'd be honest with you. I would feel better about it if 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 you had to get people to sign off on it, mm-hmm. right? So you're gonna profit off of me. They'll come to me and ask me, "Can you can can you talk about my story?" Mm-hmm. Um, because here's the thing. Here here's the thing that I find the worst about it, right? So yes, they're profiting. That's pretty gross, and these people don't see any part of it. Is but like we we just talked about the differences with Monster. Mm-hmm. You're selling a story that's not completely true. Yep. That's my biggest issue. Okay, the money is pretty bad, but not only are you profiting from it, you're also telling a story that's not necessarily true. Right. And just the one line of based on is justification enough for them to do Because I can make you seem like anything I want to make you seem like. I mean, hell, take my story. I got death threats because the media released a story as if I was the bad person because I went and brought someone home for sex. Let's say that I did that. It would have been two consensual adults of age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Going back to... I, I kind of feel like there should be one of those... You, do you remember back in the day when you were writing school reports and you had to document all your resources and stuff uh-huh. like that? I kind of feel like that's what should happen with movies. Like, there, you, you should... It shouldn't be, oh, based off of and we're going to glamorize. It should be like, nope, these are the events that have happened. And but I if they do, the fine, the, it would be the fine print that no one reads. You're right. That's true. You're absolutely because right. Because they probably, there probably are things with that. I know that um, we have to get, like, I've got to put in all the resources that we use. If I, you know, I, I mentioned uh, to the podcast and there's a couple of documentaries, you know, like I have to put that stuff in here. But I can make that so fine that it's there. Yeah. You know, I'm not that type of person. And usually, like nowadays, like podcasts and stuff, people want you're to know, not, right? But people aren't that kind of person, but or that kind of people. But I mean, it would just it's there. It doesn't matter how fine the print is. You know, it's it's it, it, it's. Cr- and then and then too, and this might be something that y'all can educate me on. So I'm gonna. I guess this will come out kind of as a statement, but I guess it's more of a question. But. I know that there are such fine lines and leniency on some laws because, okay, for instance, with my story, for example, uh, the newspaper said, um, David Keck gave us these photos and they put the before and after picture of me from uh, a, a day or so before my attack, my attack. Um, David released these photos because he wants to share his story. And I questioned that. I asked the news lady that and even went to my attorney. I was like, how can they say that? Like, I didn't, I never gave them photos. And they said it was on social media. And I made a Facebook post with my pictures that said, I would like to share my story. And because it is on social media, it it is now public. And I didn't know that. 
So they were able to put that in their newspaper. And so what sucked is when people were reading, gay guy goes to straight bar and brings straight men home for sex. At the bottom, it's got my pictures that says David Keck wants to share his story. They assumed that statement came from me and that I was admitting that I took someone home for sex. My attorney was like, there's nothing you can do about that because I had made a Facebook post that said, I uh, don't mind the questions. I will be more than happy to respond when I can because I want to share my story. And I put the before and after picture. And the newspapers took that and said, I have released. And it says, because they say, David Keck has released, which makes it sound as if I emailed them and said, here's the pictures, you got my permission. Mm -hmm. I released it onto my Facebook page, but it is now public. That's... That's rough. Our legal system, boy, I tell you, semantics. Wow. Yeah. Like that's so, so, I mean, I could sit and I could write, I could go to your Facebook page right now and create a documentary on you and JP. Wouldn't be much. And, and use all your stuff and there's nothing you can do about it because you've released it to the public. That's crazy to me. And this is why, you guys, that I don't use Facebook that often anymore. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you know, there's... Um, and I'm going to tell you what stopped me um, was um, I had this picture of me and my niece. So my niece and I, we have the same birthday. Um, and so there's a picture of her sitting on my lap and it says birthday girls, you know, and she was probably six or seven at the time. And some strange person who I had never met before was like, I know you. You're the one who has that pretty little niece. And I was like, oh, hell no. Yeah. Like someone who I'm not friends with because, you know, you have to really pay attention to those settings on Facebook. Uh So that's why you will rarely see me post. You know, and it's terrifying because I'm the kind of person that I would want to put on Facebook. Oh, my God, Cody and I were taking our Valentine's Day trip and going skiing. And there are people that look for those kind of posts because they know that that's when to break into your house. Exactly. Well, and that's the reason. When the few times when we when I used to post, um, I would always wait till I got home, right, to and share this the is photos. What we did. And this is what we did. But you you rarely see me post much these days, other than to say happy birthday to somebody or to like somebody. Um, you know, something on there. Occasionally, I might update my um, profile picture, but and even then, I don't think I've updated it in like two, mm-hmm. three years. Um, but I just, because, because social media is crazy. I'm telling you. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, guys, what another cool episode. Thank you all for being here, Bailey. I had some questions. Oh, I have some answers. Come on, baby. Let's <laughs> go. I was going to, I was going to, that's what I was going to say is before we go, Bailey, I was like, do you have waiting anything? for the Facebook yes. conversation to Sorry, end? got it, you know, left turn. No, it's okay. Well, one of them we've already discussed at length and like, how do we as a society and as a justice system start to balance like the weight like what is the weight of someone's trauma that they went through and how does that affect how we judge them in the criminal system and like i i don't i don't think there's a world where we're ever going to be able to no. do that like how great would it be to imagine a world where when sentencing someone for crimes they've committed we say like here's what you went through and this has a certain weight on your outcome and like why you did what you did and, and maybe let's try to rehabilitate you yeah. as opposed to let's just make it worse by going into this place and that way if you ever do escape or get out you're just the same person you're and just if we, worse now right and if we lived in a world where we were able to say we were 
trying to provide you in this community with these resources. We were a safe place for you and legitimately a safe place for you to come and say, I'm having these thoughts of molesting a child. I'm having these thoughts Mm -hmm. of tormenting someone. Before we put any kind of labels on you, we take that and rehabilitate and, and get to the bottom of that. Right. You know, then then I think that when someone still proceeds to do the fuck ups. Okay. Then, then. then okay. all right, you chose your path. Um, but we have to be in a place and in a world where we can provide those resources and we don't and we yeah. will. Imagine a world where Eileen had been, someone had helped her. Right. Or like maybe someone even- had paid attention, uh, someone had have stepped in, a system would have stepped in at some point in her life. And I'm not saying it would have changed everything. Like, she may have ended up the same, but like... It, it, We've at least tried. Right. Like We as individuals, I know that I live by, like, I want to lay my head down every night and know that I did everything I could for my family and friends that are involved in me. And, and I lay my head down at night peacefully knowing that I'm a good person and that all my friends know that I love them. My family knows that I love them. I've done everything I could in that day with anybody that I've, had, that, that, has, that I've passed with. Society and the world can never lay their head down on a pillow if that was their mentality. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what I wish we could get to a world where well, <laughs> that was the yeah. And so let's talk about this. And so you're going to, y'all, viewers, excuse me, because we're going to go back into Kiana's, you know, freshman college years. Oh, God. Pull over, over. Fasten up. Right. Which was over <laughs> 10, 11, 12. We're not going to talk about how long that was ago because Kiana is hitting 40. But anyway. But one of the things that we talked about in psychology class, and again, I'm sure there's some people who are out there who are majors in psychology, practicing psychology. I'm okay with the correction because you're probably going to have to correct on these things that I'm getting ready to say because it's going to be very rudimentary. But some of the things that we talked about was what happens to an individual when you don't have your basic needs Mm -hmm. met, right? So like that's your basis. So, you know, we talk about having clothes, talk about having food, talk about having shelter, what happens to a person when you take away any of those things? Now, you can add a few other layers to it. Like, you, we talk about love. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about social situations. Like, you know, there are some people who, who tend to gravitate to be by themselves, but ultimately you break when you have no one, right? Not saying that there are some people who can go without with, with fewer people, but ultimately we as society need someone. But I think the difference between the two categories that you just gave, you know, the first set of food, and hunger and shelter those are needs that people right. have to have you the have other thing the other few things that you mentioned are the things that we're taught we're not born to know that we need this kind of attention or we need to meet with this person we're taught that we kind of learn it along the way but the eating the shelter the clothes those are things that we have to have, have. and if you don't have those which she struggled to get those she struggled to get those. Mm-hmm. What does that do to your mental capacity from the beginning? Yeah. I think it's called, is it Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs? I think so. Yes. Yeah. And if you aren't meeting the most basic needs, you can never have any of the other, or something right. like that. Or you, right. Or you, you never develop yeah. mentally in a way that allows you to be a contributing um, member of society. And so when we talk about the Eileen's of the world, how many more of those are we making Mm -hmm. because we can't figure out how to get these people just those basic needs. I completely agree with what you just said. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, did you agree with what I said? Too? I did agree okay, with what you said too. Would you send it to the microphone? Right I there? agree with David Keck at all times, every time. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm getting that on a t-shirt. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> um, so another question I wanted to bring up: We talked about Ted Bundy earlier, and how David is in love with Ted Bundy. <laughs> that was on my I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> That's not true. You did not say those words. I just like to keep making it worse than it actually Right. <laughs> but um, an interesting point that was brought up in the documentary and, and that I've thought about since then is, like, by the numbers, right, if we're just considering how many people were killed, Ted Bundy killed many more people than Eileen did. But in the media and in society, they were portrayed in such different ways. Ted Bundy, right, people called him handsome. And they talked about how, you know, he was charming women. And, and even up to the point where he was put to death, like, people were in love with him. People still to this day, not just like in David's funny little haha, he's attractive, but like, are still idolizing him and loving him and wish that they had been with him. He was allowed to get married when he was on death row. Like, yeah, he was, I think he was only got one life sentence and he wasn't treated horribly in prison right and Eileen we called monster Eileen yep. was a monster people were saying that she was a man-hating lesbian and she was not given basic needs I mean like lots of people have come out and said that like in when she was in jail she was not treated well she was treated like garbage she was not given the shelter and the things that she need her basic needs in prison she was a woman and therefore she's not equal right there's always um, that double standard he was a white man yeah. So, therefore, we will find some kind of justification. And, and sir, we're so sorry we're having to do this. Right. As we're sorry injecting we're the, the lethal fluids. I'm so sorry yeah. you're, you're white and you're a man and, and you're perfect. And you're charming. And, you know, like it, because had the races been flipped? Mm-hmm. Oh, honey, mm-hmm. he wouldn't have had to kill. Like, we, we talked about this, like, you know, we have individuals who, black men, who are thrown under the jail. Or crimes that they didn't Men even that commit. are still in there right now for an ounce of marijuana. And people that have committed murder or rape or child abuse are in and out. And there are black men in there for an ounce of marijuana. So I just think it's an interesting it topic is. to bring it up is. that why, why do we treat, why do we look at what Eileen did as so, so, so much worse. Because it was a woman that had empowered or had more power over men. She was a woman that killed white men who is the best thing that God ever created, right? And so so you have this woman who is this dyke and you know how we feel about and it was well and right and it was the 90s on top of it so you know so you have the gay factor you have the female factor you have the she wasn't a attractive factor and she was killing and a prostitute right let's i mean let's go drugs were involved you know um and she was hurting the precious white boys and i do not mean that toward the victims i mean that toward the mindset the way that that society society has um (laughs) I would never mean that toward the victim. I just mean that as in that, that is the mindset that people, because when you, when you think of the other serial killers, like uh, Gacy, the clown Mm -hmm. guy, there are even parts where he was friends with the cops that were investigating him. That's how he became friends with the cops because they were investigating him. He wasn't attractive, but they say he was charming, but he was a white man. Here's my thought that I'm just now, and this is probably not a revolutionary thought to anyone, but like we see ourselves in the victims and Ted Bundy killed women and women, if there were women on the jury, the judge was, I am, I don't even need to look this up. I'm a hundred percent sure 
Bundy judge, or the Ted Bundy judge, was not a woman. And probably the detectives, the police officers, the attorneys, you know, I don't know how many women were involved in that, but so if they were all men and they were seeing themselves in the victims, they can't because they're not women. So like, mm -hmm. eh, whatever. But then Eileen killed men, and all these men in the legal system see themselves in the men she killed, and so it's so much worse for them. I don't know. That's I. No, I think I think you're one hundred percent right because I kind of have those thoughts too. Of you know, and I want to be careful how I say it, but there are a lot of reports of these higher ups in Congress and and lawyers and jobs and you know that are out buying the prostitutes, and so I'm sure that some of these men were able to really relate to these victims thinking, God, she was one of the hookers I picked up. Like, that could have been me. You know, like, I'm sure they were very easily able to put themselves into the, the victim's shoes. Right. So, like, knowing all of that, summing all of that up together, is the title monster correct? Like, is that, was she a monster? Like, what, what, what word should we use? Because on a lot of the papers, oh, they did say question. monster. And she said herself in the interviews, they're calling, like, they say, I'm a monster. So is that correct? Is it, are we calling her that because of all these other contributing factors that we just talked about, about how, you know, she was a woman and she was doing these things to men and that was so frightening to all the men and, or whatever yeah, I, it may I, be. I get what you're asking. Is she completely a monster? Right. Or is she a human that did a few fucked up things? Right. And granted, they were fucked up and they Absolutely. were wrong and, and, and needed to be paid for, yeah. but was she a monster or right. was she someone that was led down a fucked used. up road who did some Right. And that's not something we have things. to answer. I just... Well, here, here's... This is what I'm going to implore the viewers or the listeners. So... And I say this not lightly because... There are some horrific things out there. And if you're the family member on the other side of it, it's hard not to view these people as nothing but monsters. Right. But if we get into viewing these individuals as monsters, as if there is no humanity there, then that also means that we are doomed as humanity, simply because that means that we there's nothing that we can do to fix this person. Right. And and when I say fix, I don't mean in, in the way of let me fix you. I mean, like, let me help you. Let me help these individuals that are hurting that have issues. If we look at these individuals as monsters, that means there is no hope. Yeah. So that will, that's my, my only thought about that. And, and again, I know it's hard if you're the family member that's on the other side of that, because that's a person you'll never get back. That's a hurt that will never go away. Well, and here, here, and, and all jokes aside, I know that there are times I bring up what happened to me throughout different episodes that we have. And, and it's really not to make it about me, but it's to trying to put things into perspective. And sometimes it's even myself to put in perspective. My attacker is my monster. Mm -hmm. My attacker is the monster that showed me that there's hate in this world. My attacker is the monster that's under my bed that affects every move that I make, even, even seven years later. I feel I can justifiably say that he is my monster. Well, and, and but, that's a little bit different. And and that's my point. But I don't know that society could justifiably say that he is a monster. There's a difference. If if the family's victims, if 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 Eileen is the victim's family's monster, I get it. Mm -hmm. And if they were the ones saying that, I wouldn't debunk it. But for society, for all of us to say this is the definition of the world's monster. That's not right, mm -hmm. I don't think. I think that my attacker is my monster. 
He's a monster that He's isn't going man. anyway. And, and anyway. he will always be and he will always be with you. But he is not that for everybody. And so I can't put that title to him for the world to also give to him. Does that make No, yeah, well, it makes, makes perfect, perfect sense because because otherwise we don't grow as a society if we can't figure out how to help individuals who are clearly disturbed. Clearly at, at the point in which you take human out of it and they become something else that then it's then it makes it much harder uh, a much harder issue to try to approach and to try to root out and help and get people the help that they need because so, our treatment is based off of someone being a human right. not this monster everybody's perception is just a little bit different yeah. and perception is reality is what they say and so you know and then again with Eileen we add the extra layer of someone who's re- re- someone's reality who's fractured mm-hmm. the damage that that caused well and I, I think that we can end it on this and it's something that you Kiana have said in several of our episodes and have even said off the record into just our everyday lives because just as a reminder Kiana's my supervisor at work there are times that I get so frustrated and so mad that Kiana's gonna take me outside and be like all right David tap your third eye take a deep breath let's talk this out you know (laughs) um but the, I, one, of, one of the quotes that, that you mentioned, and I think that we all know well, is we work with, what what is that? We, we do the best we can with what we've got. Mm-hmm, until we can do better. Or at least you should do the best you can with what you got until you can do better. And then when you can do better, you should do better. And sometimes you have to meet people where they are. And sometimes I think that people just aren't taught what's better. Mm-hmm. And I think that we as a society, once we own that, we can change that. So, Aileen. David. Thank you for being here. I'm glad I was here. It Such was a nice, good conversation. Yeah. Very good conversation. Uh, I like this conversation. Me too. Me too. Guys, there are some really cool things in the works. And so, Kiana is going to be more active with me on things. Um, I think I could twist Bailey's arm into being active on a couple of things. <laughs> And because I like the little twinkle in her eye when she's doing this, she tries. <laughs> she tries to act like she's not too into, but she's totally. We into. love our baby. <laughs> she's really good at it. I know. And, you know, and here's the thing that I really appreciate Bailey the most is so Bailey is like, which is good for me, right? So like David is the type of person who we like all into the details, the glory details, all that sort. Of, and you know, this is like me and true crime. That's not my. Mm-mm. Bailey, on the other hand, she's more, she's kind of more like, ooh, let's talk about the mental health aspect of it. Let's not get down and dirty into these gory details. Uh-huh. And I can appreciate that about you. Uh-huh. I love you. <laughs> well, guys, thank you all so much. Um, we will keep everybody posted on all the updates. I've got some cool things coming. And I'm going to start trying to be more proactive with um, little snips of things on social media. So, Uh, So definitely check that out. Please remember to like and review and to rate and written reviews help us more than anything. And the best landing page is our website, survivingpodcast.com. But I would like to end this on a question that I think could kind of be cool if people wanted to get on social media and talk about. But I would like other people's opinion on the question that Bailey asked us. Would you consider Eileen a monster? And can we get a why? Yeah, I, I would like Not that. just a yes or no. Give yeah. us a why, baby. And, and, there, there's and a, if there's a better word that you would use, yeah. yeah. what is that word? I, I think that would be so great. And because there's no right or wrong, I just want... 
I just think it would be really cool to see other people's perspective perspective on that. So let us know, should she be considered a monster? If not, what better word and the wise? So, yay. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. I'm back. Good kiss in the back. Goodbye.